Yeah, I've actually got a hair story. It's worth it though. What? Yeah, it's a big announcement. Communicado official. Exactly, it's, it's a Communicado official. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast in Ringer SC. I'm Isok Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am doing all right, thanks, man. How are you? I'm terrible, but I'm laughing. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm terrible. I'm laughing, but I'm terrible. So I had a, <laughs> I had a terrible weekend and my current haircut is actually a metaphor for the weekend that I had. Um, so without giving too much detail about the specifics of my weekend, which is terrible, my haircut is a metaphor. So I've had, how do I explain this? So like obviously we're in a lockdown, right? Mm-hmm. Every now and again, we'll do stuff just to feel something. We'll have an existential moment. So I had an existential haircut. <laughs> so I gave myself an existential haircut a couple of days he's, ago. He's signing for Leeds. <laughs> it's worse than that. It's actually worse than that. I gave myself an existential haircut and I've had this pair of clippers, electronic clippers for six years and half an hour before a business call, a business Zoom call, the clippers that I've had for six years cut out and die halfway through me cutting my hair. Unbelievable. So now my hair is basically about like 40% cut and it's really jagged and it looks horrifying. So then I turn up on this business meeting and I'm wearing a flat cap and she's like, why? Bless her, gang. Bless her. She doesn't ask why I'm wearing this flat cap. And I get to the end and I said, um, my hair looks horrifying because it's half cut because my, my, um, uh, my clip is cut out. And if I'd come like to this call with my hair as it is, it would not have been a serious meeting. <laughs> it's absolutely shocking. <laughs> Musa is unserious. So yeah, that is that, that haircut um, story is basically a metaphor for how my weekend was, but Yes, oh, I'm no. good. I'm still laughing. I'm still laughing because what well, else can we do? Well, I washed my hair this morning and it looks very, I've got big Ricky Pooge energy at the moment. It's very fluffy. Oh, they were, Barca look fluffy against Alaves. Yeah, well, maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. But before we, we get onto the show, I've got, I've got a bit of news. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is my last Stadio episode. I decided to, to walk away from Stadio. <laughs> Take your services to... <laughs> why are you not taking me seriously right now? This, yeah, is why, this, is, this, is, this is one of the reasons I'm walking away. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So over the weekend, Musa wrote a tweet <laughs> encouraging Bayern Munich to come after Bukayo Saka <laughs> with a gif of Jack Nicholson nodding. <laughs> And I was so utterly heartbroken that I posted in the Righty's House WhatsApp group. It's the ones that are closest to us who have the capacity to hurt us the most. And I reflected on it last night. Musa deleted the tweet, but I reflected on it Sunday night a little bit. And yeah, I've decided that I just can't do this anymore. Irreconcilable differences. I can't do it anymore. I have never I can seen- let a lot of things slide. <laughs> I just don't understand. I mean, and I know that we, we, you know, we, 
we joke and we kind of take the piss out of each other a little bit, but I just step too far. I, can't, I just I just can't work with someone who wants to hurt me that much. Do you understand the firestorm I received? It came on <laughs> the firestorm came on Instagram as well. It's the oh game. my god, it went cross platform. They always come for me. Every, every every two years, every two years, I forget which fan base I'm dealing with. Every two years, and it's it's ridiculous. But every two years, it happens, <laughs> and it happened. They were absolutely. <laughs> the funny thing was, I responded to your tweet just saying, "We're going to have to have a talk." They went thermonuclear. You didn't need to. They and went thermonuclear. Then, Twitter yeah, came hard. Then, Twitter came. Hard. And you deleted the tweet. And then what did you say? You wrote another tweet. I said, it's the first I've ever deleted a hot take, a football hot take out of genuine guilt. <laughs> out of genuine guilt. And you know, the worst thing, the worst thing about it was that I tweeted this. So it's like the Jack Nicholson gif and he's nodding, he's smiling. Going, yes, yes. Cause you know, Bayern are prowling, right? Cause that's what Bayern do. But here's the worst thing. I'd forgotten about the Serge Gnabry thing. So I was referring to Callum Hudson-Odoi. I completely forgotten. So it's almost like when you're like, Haha, <laughs> you know that Bayern is circling and nudging your mate without realizing they've got root canal the next day. And it was basically, it was like giving root canal surgery without anesthetic to the entire Arsenal fan base. And they went thermonuclear. The only thing that slightly scares me is the screenshots that the last time, the last time I made any kind of joke on Twitter and you just keep getting them. And they're like, the, 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 the people that don't see the original moment that you tweeted it, that come back like two years later with screenshots going, rah, 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 because they're like, yeah. So I've got to be careful of that, but otherwise I'll be fine. Well, as someone who grew up in the north of England, I would like to remind you that the north remembers Musa. Anyway, just in case people needed clarification, I'm not leaving Stadio, unfortunately, even if I did want to, I don't think I could. <laughs> a little tip for everyone, never start a podcast with someone that you thought you could trust. There you exactly. go. No. <laughs> never, ever, ever do it. It'd be your own people. Uh, other bits of admin don't forget you can check the ringer.com forward slash soccer moose uh, also check the ringer.com because Musa had a really really amazing non-football essay that went up over the weekend about the Fugees 25 years since the score yeah that's the one thing that went right this weekend yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah today we are going to talk about football because yes, that yes. is why we're here so shall we do it after this are you going to are you going to respond or are you gonna... <laughs> yeah, just nodding I'm just nodding so yeah, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, this is it's not a visual format. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> thank it's goodness. episode 139. We should know this by now. With this haircut, thank goodness it's not a visual format. But anyway, yes, let's do it. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. 
So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Right, man, we're going to start in Italy this week because it was a very pivotal weekend in Serie A with defeats for Juventus and even more notably AC Milan away to Spezia Mm. on Saturday evening into are now top, I say, uh, all kinds of interesting stories and narratives. So Inter beat Lazio 3-1. Lazio had won six straight. Mm. So Lazio looking good, surging. I've been very handy last year, obviously Lazio, and um, had recovered some of that form this year. But Lukaku, Atara Martinez, and Christian Eriksen really went to town. That Lukaku-Martinez-Lautaro partnership is really impressive. And I said this maybe earlier this season on the podcast, the most impressive thing about them as a front two is the understated ability to get the hell out of each other's way. Mm. They just occupy so much space. They give completely different problems to the, um, the centre-back. So Latara Martinez actually is, I was saying, even more sort of vertical and Lukaku tends to roam. Impressive mm. given how many goals he scores from close in. But in this game... I mean, there's a lot of criticism of Lukaku as a big game player, but this was a big game and he absolutely nailed it. Two goals um, and an assist in a 3-1 win. Two goals take, and assist. To take your side top of the table in a must-win game. I mean, come on, man. That's against a side like Lazio, who, like you said, had won six straight, who are by no means mugs. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, the very first thing to mention before we get into Lukaku and Lautaro is just um, Christian Eriksen has had a story arc this year. Yeah, he's, he's playing really, really well at the moment. Absolutely. Bang in form. It's fantastic to see. And Inter have no major injuries going into the Milan derby next weekend, mm-hmm. which is good news for Ericsson because Ericsson obviously began his kind of redemption tour against Milan with that last minute winner in the Coppa Italia. Yeah. And looked really good here. Uh, beautiful opening goal. Got the ball around the corner to, to uh, Lukaku, played into Martinez, who was brought down, I think, for the penalty. Yeah. And it was a penalty, I thought. Yeah, no, abs- no, absolutely. It was a penalty. Absolutely. There, was, there was a slight touch on the ball, but it was one of those kind of, when people are like, look, the ball, the ball. And it's just like, yeah, but it was such a reckless cha- challenge that it doesn't matter really whether you, I mean, if you completely cleared the ball out, then it would have been fine. But just a graze on the ball with such a reckless cha- challenge like that. Yeah. You can't really complain. No, you can't complain. Um, and uh, the Carco from the spot, immaculate. Mm. They are just one, obviously one of the best front twos in Europe. And I think it's almost a question of like their understanding is like a Sancho Holland type level. Does that make sense? Mm. In terms of how they both know what's going on mm-hmm. with each other. I think that's a really good comparison actually. And also I think that Lataro this season has really benefited from the lack of talk around a potential move like there was last season. Because a lot of his season last season was really dominated by that potential move to Barca. Yeah. I mean, do you remember a few years ago where there was that season for Inter where it was just dominated by the Icardi situation? Yes, yes. Having resolved that in quite a good way for Inter, I think, moving him on to PSG and then getting someone like Lukaku in who was such a... I mean, Lukaku's an alpha. Yeah. And can dominate the front line and then getting a really, really handy accomplice. But I think that they still know that Lukaku is the guy. Yes. I do wonder whether it contributed to their derailing a little bit last season with all of the talk about Martinez going to Barca. That's interesting. Because he was on such good form and it kind of seemed inevitable at one point. Mm. But now, it's very quiet. Can I say this as well? You know you talked about moves that shouldn't happen. I think that's a move that shouldn't happen. No, I didn't, didn't, li- no. I didn't, no, no, I didn't no, no, like no. that at the time. And no. 
this is one where you stay put and it's really worth staying put. Weirdly, actually, um, and not that I would want this move to happen, but if you were going to pick one of the two to go into that Barcelona side in terms of fit, it would be Lukaku, actually. I agree. I agree, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, the, the third goal was actually probably the most, even though Lukaku got two, I think. I mean, his second was really impressive on his weaker foot, coming past him, right foot volley after a bounce into the corner. Obviously, after he took the penalty as well for the first, but the th- I thought the third was probably the most impressive thing about him that day, which is, mm. which is what he's like. <sighs> this Lukaku now is like performing on a level that that like peak Everton Lukaku was. Do you remember he had that one year where he, mm. I mean, he did so well on all these loan moves anyway, but that was that one year under Martinez at Everton where he was yeah. just lights, lights out. out, unstoppable. I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, I think, but there was that the game that sticks in my mind, obviously, as an Arsenal fan, is the 3-0 at Goodison, where yeah. Roberto Martinez moved him out onto the right, and he just absolutely torched Monreal all game. Yeah. I think that game did so much damage to Monreal's reputation that he never fully recovered from it. Ever since then, Monreal has been criminally underrated, I think. That's Monreal. interesting. That's interesting. Um, and I think a lot of it is down to that, that game at Goodison. And you see that he's taken that element of that game into his career at Inter where mm. like the third goal when they broke I mean who was it that just got, <laughs> had an awful time was it um, Francesco Acerbi that he absolutely bullied in the foot, he put into a foot race oh yeah. my god like and he just wanted no part of that at none, all none I know that we have the um, well you and a couple of other people on Twitter had the very uh, you know the, the urban finish joke about Lukaku but the, yeah. the weirdest thing when I was watching this I was just like this is actually pure pace and power. This is pace and power. <laughs> this is, I was crying when I saw that. On Yeah, I was crying watching that. I was like, this is literally the definition of pace and power. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, this is actually someone, it. Is pace someone, and power. Tim, Tim Sherwood somewhere has just been, has just put his cup of tea down. He's been like, there it is. <laughs> but the funny thing is, this is what people for years, Lukaku was someone who didn't always use his like size is bulk. Like he's someone that had it, but didn't always do it. And then what he did here was, it was almost like, um, you see in basketball when players expose mismatches, right? When they isolate someone and then just like kill them. This mm. was like that. This was like, when you have someone on a flank and it wasn't Monreal's fault, of course, because it's a new, it was a new problem. It was a problem that people have struggled to deal with continually. You know, when they had, they had Hulk playing out wide, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Hulk for, 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 for Zenit. You can't cope with that type of force because tactics are not set up for it. And like, you know, when they did it in the World Cup, when they beat um, Belgium, Brazil 2-1, Brazil had no answer for it. Mm. I mean, who really does? Because when he's like that, it's like he's going downhill, to be honest. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a train. You know, you know those like movies where there's like a train going, yeah. the brakes have failed. I've run away, caboose. Like, everyone out the way. Caboose, yeah. Everyone out the way. It's just like, <laughs> oh my God. But the thing was though, he, the fact that, it was really impressive for, to carry the ball at that intensity for that distance and yep. then actually lay off a perfect pass for Lautaro. Yeah, yeah. And the celebration as well, I thought was, was amazing because he knew that that goal was critical. Like Wrighty was talking the other day about um, his favourite goal to score is like the 3-1, but later oh. in the game. So where it's yeah, 2-1 and they get yeah. a goal back and then he, you score the, th- the third to kind of mm. shut it down. Mm. And this came with, what, 20-odd minutes to go. So it was a little bit early for, for being in the NBA they'd call the dagger. Yes, but it yes. kind of was the dagger because Lazio were having a really hard time. A really hard time. And when they got that goal back, it was 
almost like the amount of energy that it took just to get back in the game mm. to then go two goals behind again. It was just like, you could see they were done. Also the nature of the goal, when you break like that, it's like, we can hurt you from anywhere. Yeah. Concede the ball on the edge of the box. Oh, and they break. And like all of a sudden you, re- you release the ball 70 mm. yards from goal and you're in danger. Mm. You're in trouble already. And this is the thing, like, I don't think it's underrated now because we've talked about it, many of us, so much over the last couple of years, but Lukaku's playmaking for a very long time went underrated. Yeah. For a very long time. You know, there was a time when he was the best crosser at Manchester United for a couple of seasons and putting some beautiful crosses. Like he can really distribute from either flank. So yeah, really, really happy for him and happy for Inter. Mm. And the way they celebrated that third goal, Conte in the middle of it all. I love the way that there is some, it's a, it's a funny thing. We talk about Carl Ancelotti's celebration and I love that because both managers know the right way to celebrate with their players. At the right time. At the right time. Yeah, yeah. The way that Conte transmits intensity, the way that Ancelotti transmits calm, they're just different sides of the same coin. And this is the, the beauty of management is there's no correct way. There's no better, there's no, there's no right or wrong way. Mm. Because I think that Conte, even when he's intense, he transmits, it's, it's about transmitting a sense of order. He might've got it a little bit wrong last week where he was <laughs> in a load of abuse at the Juve director's box. <laughs> may have got, he may have missed the mark a tiny bit then. yeah yeah that's true yeah. Carlo, Carlo's never done that Carlo's never done that no you wouldn't see Carlo and, you, yeah you wouldn't see Carlo Ancelotti hurling abuse at his former employers no. in public I don't think yeah. but Conte kind of has that little element of wildest I do think the thing that's really really good you touched on Christian Eriksen before and Conte after the game was full of praise for Lukaku obviously full of praise for Lataro but there was a really interesting point that he made about Christian Eriksen, because do you not remember there was a while back where he was, I think there was a quote where he was saying it makes sense for Christian to move on. Yes. He had a quote on Sky Sport where he said, uh, I think Christian had a few problems settling in, understanding Italian football, which is very different, uh, sorry, which is very difficult and tactical compared to the Premier League. There's also far greater intensity now than in previous years here. We tried in every way to settle him in, even changing a tactical system. I think now he has made a step towards us and is starting to understand Italian, which is an important development too. He is understanding what we need. He's very focused when defending as well as attacking. He has a different power to his leg now after all the fitness work. Uh, he's an extra option for us, and I'm more comfortable relying on him now. And I think that's a massively important development because I don't think there would have been a lot of suitors for Ericsson, actually, especially in the current market. No, yeah, that's right, that's right. And especially so soon after, after going to Inter, I think Inter is a really good place for him. Yes. And I think that understanding that Conte mentality and what is needed and, you know, I wonder how much help Lukaku's been actually. I've got an impression, I, I get the impression that he's a really good glue guy as well, Lukaku, in terms oh, yeah. of new yeah, players yeah. coming at, yeah. in terms of new yeah. players coming to Inter. Because if you think about the psychology of when he went to Manchester United, it never felt like his team. No. Ever. Inter does. Even though he's not the captain. I do think that where when new players will go there, for example, like I can imagine him and Hakimi, like straight away Lukaku's like, you need anything, you give me a shout. Yeah. And I, I think weird enough with Lukaku, I think he was, there's a lot of talk about him at United and how it didn't work out. It wasn't good enough. I don't think Lukaku got the full team at United around him, mm. actually. I don't think that happened. And I, I know a lot of people disagree with me and his finishing and he had issues, yes. But if Lukaku is at Manchester City, for example, he scores an absolute hatful. He scores an absolute hatful because that team is just constructed right. And we saw it with Pogba as well. Like we said, we were saying earlier how it's so strange how this United team is perfectly set up for Pogba's talents at mm-hmm. a time when he might well be moving on. So yeah, just really, really happy for Ericsson, uh, happy yeah, for Lukaku. Definitely. 
and the Happy team spirit there. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, a big, that's, that's a, it's a good time to go top. Yes. But before we move on, like quickly on, on Lazio, like you mentioned, it was, it halted their sixth straight in the league. It was their first defeat in the league this calendar year. The, their only other defeat this year was in the Coppa Italia, that answer. Their first defeat in the league since they lost to Milan on the 23rd of December. So it's still a pretty good run from Lazio, and I think they're going to be okay. They've got yeah. um, Sampdoria at home next week, and then they have Bayern in the Champions League. But they're still sitting in a pretty good position in the league. I mean, they are seventh, but they're level on points with Atalanta, Napoli. They're two behind Juve, who have a game in hand, and they're only three behind Roma, who are in third. So that third to seventh in Serie A is very condensed and can change week, week on week. I mean, we saw oh. this week with Roma leapfrogging Juve. I actually just want to sort of quickly leap on that Conte comment about Serie A being more tactical. I wonder if Serie A's resurgence has kind of surprised other teams in Europe and taken them a bit, like caught them on the hop because mm. people see players moving to Serie A and they're like, haha, like Elephant's Graveyard, they're retiring there. Ashley Young is there. He's playing regular games. And I think people kind of understate the quality there because Ashley Young tactically was always highly intelligent. It's why he could yeah. adapt his game from being a, a winger, a wide forward to, to playing as a fullback. And um, I just wonder if the leap in quality in Serie A has caught people by surprise. Mm. Just generally. Yeah. Um, I, I think yeah. so as well. I think because it was written off for so long. Mm. I think especially because Juve moved into dominance and even though they made those Champions League finals, they never, if they'd won one of those Champions League finals through the 2010s, I think it might have been a little bit different. Mm. Personally, I'm all for it. It's something that I would have loved to have seen in the Bundesliga, for example. I'd love to see Bayern, no, no offence Bayern fans, but I would love to see, especially this season, you know, Bayern maybe fourth, maybe five or six points behind top and there being mm. genuine con- competition and genuine signs of a more competitive league at the top for the foreseeable. Milan are massively improving. You know, if Milan get back into the Champions League, that'll be huge for them. Um, they lost to Spezia on the weekend. But the goal from Bastoni... Oh, oh my God. God. But, but actually, let me just, this is, shout out to Nicky Bandini because when um, Napoli lost, when Napoli beat Juve 1-0, which we'll come to a little bit, Nicky was like, yeah, but nothing's for sure. Milan could still lose to Spezia. Anything's up in the air because Spezia have been on a really good run, actually. Mm-hmm. And they've been looking really good recently. So as big a shock in quote marks as this result was, the long-term trend, it was almost like Milan and Spezia played each other at the worst possible time for Milan mm. because Milan's form over the last few weeks, to be honest, has been... It's been patchy. Been yeah, it has. Yeah. They're struck. Do you know what? I think it is. It's weird because Zlatan Ibrahimovic is back in the team and that's maybe varied the pace of the team. You've got Rafael Leao who's been useful, but they're a little bit ponderous in the build-up. Looking at the depth on the bench, not quite there. Rebic was out again. They just lack a bit of fluidity and teams that play with fluidity will fancy their chances. The Juve defeat at home shook them a little bit, I think, because there was quite an air of invincibility around Milan before that. And I think that was a bit of a reality check. Mm. Yes, yes. You know, if, they, if they'd won that game, easy to say in hindsight, but I do think if they'd won that game, I think they, you probably wouldn't have seen maybe the ill discipline from Zlatan at, during the Derby della Medina or the Atalanta game. That little kind of like, actually, maybe you're not at the level you guys think you are yet. Statement defeat, like the Leverkusen defeat to Bayern. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and it, we've seen it this season 
in multiple leagues how much that could happen. Like the Arsenal defeat in the Women's Super League to Manchester United yeah, wobbled them big time. Mm. Because all of the fixtures are so condensed, yeah. when you get into a bit of a cycle, it's harder to get out of that, I think, at the moment than it has been in recent years. You don't have the time to process a result before the next fixture. Comes. It's like swimming when a current drags you under. Yeah, it's very hard to get yeah. back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's quickly talk about Napoli because they beat Juve thanks to Lorenzo Insigne penalty. Also, can I just say the optics of like South beating North? I know. I you know. know, you know. There's a, there's, there's a particular footballer. Yeah. Uh, At the Stadio Diego yeah, Armando yeah, Maradona. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's a particular footballer who would have who would have injected this, who would have loved this, who would have absolutely loved it. Yeah. I think they kind of rode their luck a bit though. Juve Juve had opportunities. There's ones when when they're slashing it slightly wider the post. You know, shots they don't fully catch. Murata, Chiesa, and Ronaldo on different days would have would have expected one each. On a different day, this is like three one to Juve. I think. Yeah, I mean the thing is, I think Alex Merritt was probably Napoli's best player, which right. shows. Which I mean, he was he was he was he got a lot of action, and he only yeah. came in because Ospina was injured in the warm up. I think so. He was really really impressive. Uh, he made a couple of unbelievable saves. Was that one from Chiesa? Where I just like, I still can't really fit. I think it was the Chiesa one. A couple from Ronaldo. Yeah. Also some amazing noises in this game. I don't know if you... <laughs> but lots of groans from Merritt. Merritt was very groany in this game. Just being like... like I mean, not another an one. Exception. Like, it's like, does anyone want to defend here? It's like, where... It's like, <laughs> Unsupervised again. Shots raining down upon him. They pulled that out for Gattuso because he'd had a bit of a challenge in relation to his job. Yes. I thought that was a little bit harsh. I think so. Because it's a good league. Yeah. And look how close those teams are. Seven teams within, what, 10 points of each other at the top of Serie A. Mm. And no, you know, all, all on their day can put in outstanding performances. Like that's the thing. None of those teams at their best squeak out victories. Like any oh. one of those teams in the top seven could blow any one of those teams away on their day. Mm. Like they've got the firepower for it and the, and the technical ability and the attack and coordination. So yeah, great mm. win for Napoli. Yeah, quick shout for Roma as well. Like we said, up to third after a 3-0 win over Udinese. They're playing some beautiful stuff, Roma. They really are, you know. Gorgeous football. Oh, we didn't even mention Atalanta. One no one over Cagliari away, so... Uh... Actually, quick shout for Lewis Muriel, who got the late winner there. I love the way that Atalanta, rather like Inter, another team in, obviously, black and blue, are a kind of... They're a place for brilliant players to recuperate. Players who have been who've got up to great starts in their career and maybe not quite fulfilled their promise. And for some reason, Inter and Atalanta are just, well, it's kind of Gasparini and Conti maybe, but they're almost great places to rebuild. You saw it with Luis Muriel, Zapata, to an extent, Ilicic, you know, players that have been slightly stage left or stage right and they take centre stage and he's done that really well for them. Uh, first win for Atalanta in the league since they beat Milan in the end of January. So it was a much yeah, yeah. needed win for them actually. Take a break. Yep, yep. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Let's go to the Premier League. Manchester City are looking ever more inevitable. They are. A very comfortable win over Tottenham Hotspur on Saturday evening. 3-0, thanks to a 
rather ropey Rodri penalty. Yes, it has to be said. Yeah, yeah. I loved his interview after the game when he was talking about it, by the way. He was just like, well, you know, I looked around and like a few people have missed and I was just like, I'll take it. And, you know, it wasn't a good penalty, but he went in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really happy for him, actually, because he's had a tough adjustment period, tougher than most, I would say. But he's looking really good at the moment, I think. And he's looked good for a while. I mean, obviously, it was another absolute stormer from Ilkay Gundogan, who scored two and then unfortunately went off not long after his second. Um, with a groin, looked like a groin injury. I haven't seen any news on him yet. Have you? At the no, time I of recording, no, no, no. I hope it's not long out because that's really cruel for Ilkay Gundogan. If so, because he's been lights out, the best player in the Premier League, I think, for over a month now. Yeah, and that injury is the only thing that has ever been able to stop Ilkay Gundogan mm. at his at his peak form. Nothing stops him. Right, you had you don't have mm. a say in it. Mm. I'm actually writing a piece on him at the moment for The Ringer. Oh, great. I think the thing that is kind of interesting about Ilkay Gundogan at the moment is that he actually isn't doing a lot of things differently than he did at sometimes during his Dortmund career. Maybe that 2000, like 2012, Klopp mentioned it before the Liverpool game where he was just like, he was amazing in 2012. Yeah. And there was that run that he had in like 11, 12, 12, 13 where he didn't score as much, but in terms of taking up advanced positions, he was very much there. But you forget at the time, Dortmund had Robert Lewandowski, who, yep. although he wasn't at the level he was now. Was terrifying still. Was yeah, still there's, terrifying. Something, there's yeah. something, you, you don't go into that space. I think this could be something that a lot of other managers might look at in terms of freeing up goal-scoring midfielders who aren't actually, who haven't actually scored that many goals in their career, if that makes sense. Can we actually say this then? Because I know I always joke at everyone's an eight. And I know that Guardiola is dying to turn Gundogan into a false nine at some point. He's dying. Everyone's a false nine. But see, Ross Barkley could do that, actually. Mm. Yeah. Ross Barkley's ability to like surge beyond the last man, if Watkins is out for a couple of games, that's an experiment that could be used really successfully. Mm. And, you know, the goal scoring midfielder is great because you saw it with Foden. Foden went wide uh, in this game. And it's again, just, you know, he's Foden, so he does what he does. Mm. But it's that ability to have players who are always contributing, even when not with, with a view to goal. Mm. And Gundogan has been so good that he's probably, you know, because a copycat league and football is copycat from yeah, the top yeah, yeah. down. I wonder what impact someone like that will have on coaches down the pyramid going, actually, you know what I mean? So not just at the kind of elite level, but like, you know, the amateur level. Mm. Does that make sense? Like what would yeah, experiment yeah. with that? Yeah, yeah. He's been great though. Been great. Yeah, totally. I mean, Man City were just, they were just on another level. And the, the thing that thing I wanted to talk about was actually Gundogan's second. Mm. And this is where, you know, I said a few weeks ago, I think it was the end of January, I mentioned it, about him being potentially the best nine and eight at the same time in the Premier League. Yeah. And I think this goal was a prime example of that. Because the run he makes is the run of an elite number nine. Yes. And I mean elite, not just a number nine, I mean an absolute elite number nine. This right. is a Luis Suarez peak Barcelona run. Honestly. Yep. The, obviously the pass from Edison was unbelievable. But the run, it was just so impressive. And this goal reminded me actually of Messi against Bayern when he sat down Jerome Boateng. Yeah, yeah. And the movement, the movement reminded me of Ronaldo in the 98 World Cup against Holland. Yeah, the cutback, then the, yep. yeah, yeah, the this, stop this and go. Was, this, was the, this was the movement. The run reminded me of that, but absolutely the finish because Davinson Sanchez is no clown. No. When you're backpedaling, and this is the thing a lot of people are like, oh, Davinson Sanchez. No, he's, he's a superb defender. 
Yeah. The thing is, if you're running, if you're backpedaling towards your own goal and you've got a player of Gundogan's quality who changes direction like that, it will look like a clown show, even though it's not. Because mm. you're having to make a decision. And his genius is he forces you, he almost crosses him over in basketball terms. He crosses yeah, yeah. him over. That's so funny. I was just about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Unscripted stadium moments. But yeah, the, he crosses him over and changes direction and cuts the ball back across Lloris. Mm. It reminded me of the, I, I think I reference it quite a lot, but uh, when Messi scored that goal against Bayern, yeah. Ian McIntosh wrote a tweet where he said, if you slow it down, you can actually see the moment where Messi leans over and takes out Boateng's batteries. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there was, there was yeah. a, and there was a, I think it was a very similar moment for Sanchez. I always feel sorry for elite level footballers where there's a frame that is not particularly complimentary to them that can be screenshot. And poor Davison Sanchez, because he's, I, 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 I really like Davison Sanchez. Yeah. You, you just know that opposition fans are going to meme the fuck out of that. They are. And, you know, uh, Rio Ferdinand mentioned this actually in a piece of punditry a few months back where he said, defenders are afraid of this. And like Rio Ferdinand talks to mm. Premier League players still. So like, Defenders are afraid of that moment, like getting memed. It's why they're afraid to go in. Mm. Now, this is the thing. All good defenders have to commit. And the best defenders in the world, in history, whether in basketball, whether in football, they're all on posters because the best defenders know that you have to commit. Mm -hmm. And they should just come out and be like, yeah, that's what it looks like when you commit. I would actually love defenders to come out and like in defense of being on posters and be like, yeah, but that's good defending. Because you look at like Mascarano, for example, right? Mascarano making that incredible challenge. Um, was it uh, in the semi against the Netherlands or the quarter against the World Cup they played in 2014? And he makes this astonishing goal-saving challenge and he doesn't make that challenge unless he fully extends and commits to it, mm -hmm. knowing that someone could cut back and he doesn't care. And I'm, in, I'm all in favour of defenders who just don't give a damn how the damn thing looks. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, and also, I I, I if it. I was a defender in that, in that scenario and, you know, like Phil Jones, for example, I wish Phil Jones would have come out one day and just been like, you do that and see what faces you, Paul. Well, it's good coverage. They say, they say just a basketball analogy, they always say like good offense always beats great defense. Yeah. And ultimately, all you can do sometimes with elite players, elite forwards, is contest the shot. Mm. And that's a fully contested shot that they put on Gundogan, but just he's in that, he's in that phase of form. The real question as well that's not going to get answered in this game the real question that will not get answered this game because everyone's distracted by the memes and the rest of it is why you've got two players guarding the back four and it somehow seemed like the most space on the entire pitch was between the two defensive midfielders, deep line midfielders and the back four. The amount of times Cancelo surged into space and hammered the ball into the false nine position and whoever received the ball in that space was in about five, 10 yards of room was absolutely shocking. And it mm -hmm. won't get talked about. But to me, I was like, my goodness, you're allowing Manchester City to basically erect a tent, you know, outside the penalty box. It's never going to end well. So to me, that was the key question in this game. And, and Mourinho never answered it. Two wins in their last seven Premier League games for Spurs against Sheffield United and West Brom. Are they in trouble yet? They've got West Ham away next after a trip to Wolfsburger. They're not in trouble. They're just free-floating. They're just not... They're not, they haven't got their head in the game at the moment. That's the thing. There's an amazing stat. I think that Daniel's story posted, um, the fine writer Daniel's story. Daniel said, and there's 12 games in the Premier League this season where there've been, the, the teams had six touches or less in the opposition box. A quarter of those have been Spurs. Something wild like that. Like, wow. You see stuff like that. Yeah, it's just, they don't, 
what can, this is the thing. Spurs' game is the counterpunch, right? They're not constructing attacks in the final third. They're basically hitting on the break. And like we get, that's what Spurs do. But the problem is people, it works for a time. And then some people figure it out. When they figure it out, you need to have a plan B. And the challenge for Spurs is the plan A is brilliant, right? Of course it is. I mean, look at it. The plan B is not there. And also there's the other issue, which is the Gareth Bale challenge, which is um, Well, he looked not, quite good when he came on, I thought. He did, he did, he did. And he looked good enough if this makes sense, to be used slightly more than he's being used? I mean, to be honest, at the moment, I, d- I think it's a bit of a free hit. I mean, I know there was the issue last week about him training and not feeling fully fit and stuff like that. Mm. But um, I think if he feels, or if and when he feels fit enough, I mean, he came on, so it looks like he's feeling okay now. Yeah. I would experiment with playing him because the thing about him is that he he can be so destructive. Yeah, yeah. And he just occupies he occupies another part of the opposition that I just think could be really yeah. handy for Spurs, to be honest. Especially if they're going to like level off and, and basically make a charge. They need, to start move, they need to start making moves quick if they're going to finish, well, if they're going to finish top four, but even if they're going to finish in Europe. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because the slide is looking a little bit tricky and West Ham away is not a fixture you want to play after a after Europa League game in the current climate, especially because that is a big rivalry for them yeah. too. The derby, it's quite a heated derby. And I think Marino has got some figuring out to do for sure. Agreed. Uh, let's go to Leicester. Leicester beat Liverpool 3-1 in um, seven minutes of just wildness. We didn't mention it last week, but obviously it came out that Jurgen Klopp's mother had passed away a month ago and that the last few weeks, as he's bec- become increasingly tetchy in the media, it is more than understandable as to why. Obviously, it's a, just a horrible, horrible thing to be going through whilst having to A, continue your job and B, continue a job that involves you being in front of a camera and beamed across the world three times a week, especially with uh, media who will prod and prod and prod and you're not in the greatest run of form. I think that, again, just a little reminder, we've, we've been banging this drum all year, but I do think that we all need to be a little bit more considerate when talking about football. We just cannot be treating football or the coverage of it this year with the same set of rules that we've been able to forever because it's just not. Well, you know, it's interesting about this. Um, and I agree with all of that. I'm also thinking in relation to Klopp and other people who are going through really hard times. There are some really unsayable things as a major athlete or anyone working in elite level sport. And one of the unsayable things is, to be honest, I could not care less about any of this right now. Mm-hmm. I could not care. How many footballers have we watched and adored and idolized down the years who've been experiencing immense private tragedy, horrifying mm-hmm. levels of grief, who've lost relatives, who've lost you know, brothers, sisters and tragedies because very little gets out. If you think about football and how visible these footballers are, we actually know very, very little about their interior lives. How many times has someone been playing a Champions League final knowing they've got a relative who's basically got like a day to live in a small town on the other side of the world and for all their money, all their access, they cannot get there in time to see them and say goodbye. And that person's kicking off in a major match. And they put out an incredible performance. And if we knew, and I'm not saying this should be a thing for like mass revelation, because frankly, everyone's entitled to a private life. But I think it would be absolutely fascinating if one day we sat down with one of the kit people, one of these teams and just said, without any names, when you were coaching like 10 years ago, wherever you were at some point in your career, what would go on behind the scenes without anyone names? Like, 
what tragedies did people have to deal with? What kind of roles have to play? What state were players in, let's say half an hour before kickoff? And I'm sure some of the great performances of all time have been with players that we'd never know, we'll never know, were battling immense personal tragedy. And the thing with Klopp actually right now, and the reason it's affecting people is because the grief is so visible, right? Before social media, before the 24-hour like sort of news cycle, we weren't aware of any of this. And watching him in the press, in the press conference talk about the title and all the rest of it, you know, on Twitter, I was quite circumspect for me. And I said this to my Liverpool supporting friends. I was like, listen, honestly, honestly, people, the board just needs to write this season off. Yeah, 100%. Get fourth, get fourth place. Get fourth place and move the hell on. And people are going to talk and talk about Liverpool doing this and that. But, you know, ultimately, you cannot sustain, you cannot sustain that many injuries at that crucial position. You just can't. And it's long and short of it. Like even Alisson, you know, if I'm going to be charitable about the 3-1 defeat, and I think I will be, you look at the two, the two mistakes he's made, the two sort of sets of mistakes he's made against City and now Leicester. I think those come out of unfamiliarity with your centre-back pairing. Yeah, I agree. I don't think those happen if Van Dijk is there because there's passes you don't play against City if, if Alisson's there. And if, Alice, if, if Van Dijk or Gomez are there, I don't think it comes for the ball that he comes for with Quebec there. No, I, I mean, to be honest, I, yeah. I tweeted about this saying that actually I would love to know whether Alisson called or not. And Klopp didn't really confirm or deny whether there was a call or not, because I don't think he, he would. Want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think if Alisson did call, and it's kind of, it's on Kabak, because Alisson has the full view of the pitch in front of him, and he has a clear run onto the ball. Kabak is running towards his own goal at an angle with the ball coming over his shoulder, the sun in his eyes and two defenders around, uh, two attackers yeah. around him that if he miscues it, they're through on goal anyway. So actually, I know that a load of people were absolutely slating Alisson for this. And the only, the only error I genuinely think, and this, is the, and this is something I don't know whether happened or not, but the only error that I could throw at him is not calling. Yes. If yes. he didn't call, it's on him. But the decision to come, I don't think is actually an error at all. Personally. And how few training sessions have they had together? This is the thing, all exactly. these intangible Was it, was it their 16th, 16th different centre-back pairing of the season? Right. Yeah. Which is frankly wild. Um, I think, yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. But, but also, anyway, I think we should praise Leicester. I think Leicester might be the side in the Premier League that you would like to play the least in a tricky run. They will not let you rest, Leicester. <laughs> Do you know what I, I mean, mean? I'm only laughing because I, I, I did tweet, uh, in sympathy, really, Alisson, like Jamie Vardy's the, the, the worst person to come that far yeah. off the line against. Yeah. Jamie Vardy, th that man, you could assemble a mixtape, a counter-attack mixtape, Jamie Vardy on the break against elite teams. He is absolutely brutal. The way that he surges into space and the way that he senses the way he anticipates danger, like Gary Lineker talks about this a lot, a lot of it, you know, as a striker is gambling and making certain runs. Mm. He is the supreme gambler when it comes to that. And what I love about Leicester is they just have so many tools and ways to hurt you. I mean, Tielemans is an, I still think is an understated acquisition. Mm. I think getting him was such an incredible statement of Leicester's intent. You have him, you have Ndidi, they can hurt you in different ways. Madison, who is just like, you know, just dead ball wizard. Mm. Less than, they, then they hung tough. This is the thing. They took a lot of body shots in Liverpool. Liverpool looked really, really assured at a goal up. Liverpool looked like they were on course for. 
in quotes, statement victory, actually. Because I they were playing really well as well. Actually. They were, they were, they were playing yeah. really well. They were playing really well. Apart from that Leeds defeat, Leicester haven't lost since losing at home to Everton in December. They've opened up a gap now on Liverpool in third. Mm. Um, I think that would be the thing that's really annoyed Klopp the most. I mean, we're recording this ahead of the Chelsea-Newcastle game, so that might mm. change by Tuesday morning. Uh, we're going to talk about Arsenal-Leeds on Wrighty's house. Well, you are actually. You are with Jeanette and Wrighty this week. Obviously a huge point for West Brom against Manchester United, but that we're, you guys are also going to cover that on Wrighty's house. So yeah, yeah. West Brom, Man United, Arsenal-Leeds, you, Jeanette and Wrighty will talk about on Wrighty's house. Big win for Burnley, beating Palace 3-0 at mm. Selhurst Park. Southampton lost again to Wolves. I think they were really unlucky here. I think they were yes. really unlucky, actually. I think that yes. the tale of two penalties that one wasn't and one was, mm. I think they were really unlucky with that handball. I no longer know what is a, a harsh penalty for handball or not. And I think Southampton as well, unfortunately, is the old cliche, but when things are going bad, when you're having a bad run, everything goes against you. Mm. And that's kind of the law. One, one quick mention on a positive note uh, to celebrate something. I mean, Pedro Neto's goal was outstanding and many would have oh, seen that. It was that. really great, yeah. The one they want to talk about very quickly, Danny Ings' goal, lovely, so lovely good. finish by him. But Stuart Armstrong mm. chips the ball over a challenge. I oh, know. And now this, so can I say this? Like the level, I know that like technical ability is something we talk about maybe a lot, but just the casual level, the casual quality of technique of like in the Premier League has just exploded since we began watching it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The talent level just goes so, so deep. Even in a struggling team, you've got a playmaker who can do that. Yeah. This is what I love about this league. Like it's just absolutely, we're saying like Serie A is stacked. You look down to even at number eight, Sassuolo, eight, eight, Sassuolo up to Inter. That league has got, it's full of like absolute ballers and just generally. Premier League, same thing. It's just so, so deep in talent. Finally, before we move on from the Premier League, props to Scott Parker. Absolutely huge win away at Everton. Yeah, yeah. Only their third win of the season. 2-0. Everton looked very much like a side who had gone 120 minutes in midweek. But still, Scott Parker has... I mean, we said for a while that Fulham have been playing quite well. Yes. And they haven't really been getting hammered, have they? No, and they just lack maybe some of the tools that the teams above them have. But mm. Adam Ola-Lukman was superb again. And this is something maybe sort of Wrighty's house. Ever since that penalty miss, Adam Ola-Lukman has pulled it out the bag. Mm. And he's been, each time I've watched Fulham, he's been, he's been brilliant. I mean, props to Josh Madger though, because he has had a curious career. Obviously, a lot of people will recognise him from the Suddenly Until I Die documentary and he made that curveball move to Bordeaux that didn't massively work out, I don't think. Um, obviously, he's on loan up for them and I wonder whether they're going to turn that into a permanent deal. He's got a good nose for space, good movement, mm-hmm. really good movement, anticipates where the ball's going to end up really well. Both goals yep. are similar finishes. Yeah, definitely. Similar yeah, yeah. Before we move on from England, let's talk about the Super League very quickly. And yep. Chelsea, they won 5-0 on the weekend uh, away at Bristol City, which you would expect. Um, I don't think that is a curveball result at all. Um, two for Frank Kirby, one for Penilla Harder, one for Sam Kerr, one for Beth England, and then they chilled for the last half hour, basically. Shout out Penilla Harder, who opened up her DMs yesterday, along with her partner, Magda Eriksson to anyone coming out or thinking of coming out. That's amazing. This was absolutely wonderful. I that. Oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Yeah. But it happened quite um, later on in the evening. They were like, yeah, 
our DMs are open for the next few hours. Coming out is completely natural. If anyone wants to write to us, drop us a line, go for Aww, it. And they that's just so great. On. They're so lovely. They're so lovely, honestly. Oh, man. Really Those special two are people. amazing. Yeah. Such special people, yeah. yeah. Chelsea flying high at the top of the Super League. They're, Frank Kirby's Manchester playing, actually has been released. Yeah, but Frank Kirby playing, actually has been released from a catapult. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the Tasmanian devil in those cartoons. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you're just sort of standing there as a back four watching this dust cloud approach and Frank Kirby emerges from it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good to see her back and fit again. Just incredible, incredible yeah. player. Um, Manchester City beat Manchester United in the Manchester Derby on Friday night. And uh, are we going to talk about Caroline Weir's goal? Or... I mean, we have to. Well, that is a statement victory for starters. And yes. when you finish, that was a third goal. And my goodness, this finish. I mean, you can talk us through it. So. It came towards the end of the game. So it was what? Yeah, yeah. Five minutes, five, six minutes to go. Caroline Weir's on the left-hand edge of the box, just outside the box. And she does this drag back touch. And that, then, that by itself was out of this world. Yeah. And then from the angle, it looks like she drives it from the TV angle. Right, right. And it was just the most unbelievable chip. Pure geometry. It's pure geometry. Because for her to, because the ball goes deep into the box and comes back out, mm. right? Mm. And the genius of the finish is the keeper's just been drifting towards the right-hand post the entire move. Yeah, I mean, Mary Earps is not a, she is an, an unbelievable goalkeeper, Mary Epps. And she, I just think, was just like... Phew. Well, yeah, because she, I mean, it was, it was a shame because she did all the right things. Again, we were saying earlier about contesting shots. She did the right thing by getting out to the edge of her six-yard box mm. in the inside right position. That was anticipating danger, mm-hmm. but she couldn't scramble back. And I think, you know, like, who's going to try and chip you from there? Well, now we know who's going to try and do that from there. And the only space that was left unprotected, this is the thing about the chip, thing about the chip is it's the only part of the sky that you haven't guarded. Mm. And it's the sky, of course, because the way it travels and it's pure geometry, the angle of that, mathematics professors would be proud to watch that. The way it curves and dips, and like the chip has always been my favorite finish in football because it's the most satisfying thing. Mm. You get to be a spectator, as I said before, on your own goal. The way that we're crafts it, oh, it's just, and the thing about the goal as well, the thing about the goal coming third in that game was it was almost like a demonstration of like, this is the business. This is a City team that has Roosevelt on the bench. I know. You know? And you look at that 11 and it's just stacked. It's absolutely stacked. My God, Chelsea have their work cut out now because the way that City are coming, they have momentum really now. Yeah, I mean, if, Chelsea, if, if, if Man City win their game in hand, they go two points behind Chelsea and they face each other really close towards the end of the season what could be a title decider um, that's very interesting yeah yeah, yeah third yeah. from last game it was actually kind of a good result well it was a good result for Arsenal the, Man- the Manchester City result because I think it means that should Arsenal basically now Champions League is back in Arsenal's hands uh, they win their games in hand and they beat Manchester United obviously winning it they're going to have to win every game of the mm for the remainder of the season to guarantee that. But after the, w- the few weeks that they have had, still having Champions League in their own hands at the moment, I think is a pretty good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, their game was postponed on the weekend again um, due to a frozen pitch. But yeah, like we always say, man, watch the Super League. All right, man, let's go to Spain. And Barcelona won the Copa del Arena on the weekend. Yep. 
beating Lagronia in the final 3-0 to become the all-time record Copa del Arena winners. And fairly routine in terms of how, I mean, they oh, punched, the, the, goal, the goals came at fairly well-spaced intervals. It was like mm. they applied the pressure at different points. Um, I think the first one about to after about 40, a penalty, and they just eased through the gears thereafter. But yeah, super impressive, actually. It was kind of a bit of a, not a procession, but mm. they never really looked in any danger. And I mean, no. it's worth pointing out that actually this is last season's Copa del Arena, which means that they've won the 2019-20 double. That's so wild. Ending, that is so dystopian, ending that season in this one. It's oh, wild, no. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, they did the same, similar thing with the, uh, the FA Cup in England, didn't they? Yeah. Manchester City Everton played the final after this season's FA Cup had already started. Very strange. Mm. I mean, uh, it, this is, we've, we've gone into this before about how if they could have completed the men's competitions, why couldn't have they completed the, the women's? But I think we all know why. Yeah, yeah. And this went as well with, uh, they already won the, the, the Supercopa de España as well. So big year for Barca. And um, they still remain top of the women's Primera in Spain. Obviously, they didn't play this weekend in that competition. Three games in hand on Levante, who are in second. There's seven points clear of Levante. Obviously, if they win their games in hand, they will have a 16-point advantage at the top of the league. Should we go to the men's? Yeah, let's have a look. Let's have a look. Arta was fun on the weekend. Yes. Yes. They were. It was very wholesome. Considering they were still only 2-1 up against Alaves with about, what, half an hour to go? Yeah. Well, less than that, 20 minutes to go. It was all very easy in the end for, for Ronald Koeman and his Barcelona side. Quite a heavily rotated squad, which you would have expected. But this is the kind of result I think we've not seen from Barcelona too frequently recently. And the ones that we used to, knew, we used to absolutely know would happen. I mean, yeah. Barcelona against a team like Alaves at home, it'd be 5-6-1, something like that all the time. Yes. I posted a tweet just basically hoping that everyone was as happy as Ricky Pooch is when he hugs Leo Messi because this boy... Messi is loving playing with the kids. Yeah, he really is. There's actually one, one of the other kids who's playing, um, Moriba, he tweeted... Yeah, I know. That, that thing, yeah, the amazing tweet, how it started, how it's going. I know. And he's, he's a kid with Messi and now he's... Still a kid with playing Messi. Playing with him. Yeah. Yeah. And, but they love, Messi loves playing with the kids. Yeah. I think because the kids have got genuine ability, you know? I yes, think like, yes, for yes, example, yes. Like even like Trinkau is starting to really score and, and he's looking really, really impressive. Like a couple of times now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ricky Pooge was absolutely tearing Alaves apart with some of his through balls. So I'm just smiling. I'm smiling because Ricky Pooge has got such young Indiana Jones energy. Yeah, I can yeah, imagine, yeah. I imagine with like a hat and a whip, like swinging through caves. <laughs> He's the same. You know he that does. someone's going to Photoshop that now, aren't you? He does, doesn't he? He's like, he's just mm. like, howdy, like, let's, let's break down some presses, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he was so good on the weekend, man. And, um, Amazing. I mean, I think it was for Trinkau's second goal, actually, where Messi tries to go around the keeper, right. saves it. And Messi's reaction is actually really good. He, he turns around to Pacheco and basically was just like, hard luck kind of thing because he did really well to stop Messi going around him and then Trincao was just there just to be like Poom. but isn't that, there's something quite there's something quite beautiful um, it was in the first half you had Griezmann missing a chance was then offside but Griezmann missed a chance badly and Messi finishing up with his wrong foot mm. and it was so nice to see people finishing up for Messi when Messi doesn't quite get it done it was just quite poignant to see it was just really nice to see like <laughs> the kids running riot but you know what though I genuinely think this, this might be a factor in it actually where he's just like oh 
I don't need to do all this on my own anymore. Right. You know, yeah. and even like if you look at the positions that he took up, there was that amazing dink that he played first time in the second half for Griezmann who volleyed wide and he looked right. really disappointed with himself. But then he made almost like not a carbon copy because it was more from a standing position. I think he had the ball at his feet for the final goal, the junior FIFA goal. Yeah. That was yeah. absolutely beautiful. And like the thing is, this is the kind of swagger that Barcelona used to play in week in, week out. Yeah, this it's is the best really Messi. Been, it's not yeah. really been yeah. there for a while. No. This is the best Messi. This is the happiest I've seen Messi for a long yeah. time. The goals, both goals were gorgeous. The first one went off two posts, but of course the final one is the one that really got me going because I am a huge fan aesthetically of when a player strikes the ball, they strike it with so much force, they actually take off. Mm. He wraps his entire foot around the ball and there is not a goalkeeper. They could have, listen, Alaves could have had four goalkeepers on the line. There's no, <laughs> ain't nobody getting near that. <laughs> so good. Absolutely loved it. Loved it. And the, the, the celebration was so funny. He just stands there and runs up to him. He's just like, yeah, yeah. You yeah, knew well, what that was. was. The, that was the really yeah. wholesome one where P- Ricky yeah. Pooch is right in front of him. He's like, I think Ricky Pooch genuinely loves it when he's the closest to Messi after he scored. So yeah, he gets yeah. Of of second, he gets a couple of extra seconds with him before everyone else joins in. Yay, Leo, Leo, Leo. I think it's that moment, because when there's a break in play, it's that moment of, we're playing with Leo Messi. Like, know, the, yeah, you can see it. Everyone's like, this is actually, this is unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. Um, I love it. I love it. Real Madrid did Real Madrid things against Valencia. They are tough to watch at the moment, I think. I don't want to turn they, too they've been, they've been tough. They've been tough. Yeah. But they got through against Valencia side who can potentially be tricky. Speaking of kind of scraping through Atleti. There's, okay, I'm suspicious of Atleti. Something's going on there. I have a theory. Uh-oh. Diego Simeone one day is going to turn up wearing a white shirt. There's something so chaotic about this team. I'm like, the only, the only thing that can happen to them now, because <laughs> Granada, I saw with my, with my own eyes, with my own eyes, as God is my witness, they went 1-0 up with half an hour to go. And we know that that's just like, you're done at that point. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they allow Granada back into it and they scored a deflected strike to win it. And I'm like, this Atleti team is too interesting. I don't mean interesting as in playing nice football. I mean, as in they have a chaotic good energy that I'm really absolutely feeling. I'm enjoying this so much. And I'm like, I'm like is this actually you? Have you? What happened to my Atleti? You spray painted the shirts on. What's, is this actually you? I keep feeling like this is going to be like an art project at the end of the season. It's like, this was never actually Atleti after all. We've had you. It's all the mm, trick. I mean, you know, still the five yellows in that game for Atleti. Still so, on brand, I mean, yes. Still I mean, on brand. Suarez, Saul, Savic, Koke, Carrasco, all booked. Grand total of yellows for Granada? None. So, yes. <laughs> you know, this is a great victory for them after the kind of slight, not wobble, but like Celta Vigo will do that to you. Yeah, I mean, the draw against Vigo was disappointing. And Aspas doing Iago Aspas things. This isn't the Vigo side of a couple of, of the last couple of seasons. You know, they are top half. They are, mm. it looks like, I mean, finally, Iago Aspas, <laughs> Iago Aspas' statement looks like it might actually come true. You know, the last two seasons after, well, last season when they escaped very, yeah. very late, he said, we can't be in this position again. Not, not again. Yeah, it's too but much. The thing too was, much. he said the same thing the season before. <laughs> yes, everything repeats itself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it looks like they're going to be okay this year, which is Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Probably, Massive relief considering the, the, the stress that that club has been through the last couple of years. They've been through it, yeah. 
Betis beat Villarreal 2-1 in Villarreal. And um, yeah, Sevilla scraping through against Wesker. Sevilla are, re- are quietly on a really good run of form. They have had one defeat in 19 games and that was against Atleti mm. in all comps. So wow. they're doing really well. I mean, loads of people like to poke fun at Julian Lopetegui, especially because of what happened with the Spain-Real Madrid thing. But, you know, they're fourth. They've got a game in hand over Real Sociedad. They're already seven points clear. Even though you never know what will happen, I do think that top four will be what as it is in La Liga this season. I think. I think it will have yeah. to take something pretty spectacular for Real Sociedad, who have now lost Oyarzabal, which is a yeah. massive blow for them ahead of the Europa League. Very, very, very quickly, we're going to swerve the Bundesliga this week because it was draws galore. Um, yeah. A bit of an existential draw for Dortmund. They weren't great against Hoffenheim again. But um, yeah, the only two wins this weekend were for Eintracht at home to Cologne, which you would expect, and also Leipzig at home to Augsburg on Friday night, which you would expect. Um, but we're recording this ahead of the Bayern-Armenia game. Bayern obviously back from Qatar, having won the Club World Cup. Straight back into Bundesliga action. We'll do the Bundesliga again next week because we do the Bundesliga most weeks. Uh, any other business, Musa, or should we get out of it? I think we're good, actually. I think we're good. We've we forgotten everything? Uh, we've always forgotten everything. Um, got, oh, did I say forgotten everything? Oh, God, I've forgotten how to talk. No, no, it's, no, it's fine. I mean, we wouldn't be surprising if we did at this stage of the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I guess just the general, hope everyone's keeping well. Hope no one is having the same misadventures as I've been having <laughs> on Twitter. And, with, and with, my, with my hair, maybe that was a foreshadowing what was to come. Um, but yeah, hope you're all very well. And continue to be. Hope you and yours are keeping well. And yeah, I suppose I'll see you. I'll see some of you on Righty's house and see most of you on Thursday. Some admin quick. Don't forget to check theringer.com forward slash soccer. Don't forget to check Righty's house on Wednesday. Jeanette and Musa will be on with Righty this week. If you do listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. It would be much appreciated. Uh, we're playing out this episode on a track called Squids Can Fly, Musa, by Xerox Dream Flesh. Back for Righty's house on Wednesday and we'll be back with another stadio on Thursday. Until then. Take care, everyone. Much love. See you then.
Thank you.